I seen my boy over there sitting by himself. I said, you okay sitting over here by yourself? He said, yep. I said, that's good. That's good. Uh, every man that ever does something, he's going to have to stand by himself from time to time. Amen? So that's good. That's good. Amen? Never be afraid to go by yourself. And uh, thinking of that, I, I was, I've been looking at this passage of Scripture here, and I thought to myself, I've been going to church since 1974, and I don't believe now, I could have forgotten, but I don't believe in any uh, camp meeting or revival situation I've ever heard anybody preach out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or 6. Well, I, I might have heard a, a verse of Scripture quoted out of chapter 6 because there's a fairly popular verse of Scripture in chapter 6. Uh, but a lot of times you'll hear people preaching on one verse of Scripture out of context and it's okay to do that if, if, if it applies to the, to the topic that you're talking about. But most of the time you'll find that the best way, uh, 100% of the time the best way to deal with Scripture is in the context that it's given. Uh, you can almost take a verse of Scripture and make it say anything. I showed you all one time a verse of Scripture about Santa Claus. Uh, ho, ho, and he comes from the north and covers the whole earth. Uh, but there's no such thing as Santa Claus. But amen, we, we all knew that. If your kids didn't know that, I'm sorry. I usually say that. <laughs> and then I think, oh, somebody's going to be mad at me after church. But uh, it's not really going to hurt anything for them to have that information. Amen. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and 6 deals with a very strong topic, a, very, a topic that's not very much loved by the world or Baptist in this day and time. That's being judgmental. And, uh, and uh, being judgmental is, is not the, the happiest life to live. If you judgmental about something, you're going to have some kind of controversy that's going to go along with it. Uh, but uh, for all the grace, and I'm for the grace of God, ain't you? I couldn't have got in without the grace of God. You couldn't have got in without the grace of God. And I, the message last night uh, centered strongly on surviving as a Christian by the grace of God and realizing that when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And you're going to live a Christian life by faith and you're going to live a Christian life by grace just like you got saved. Uh, remembering that we were called uh, to good works. God, the Bible said God ordained good works for us and says for us to be zealous of good works. Those things don't change. Uh, but as much as you hear about the grace of God today, it doesn't negate uh, these things that are contained in chapter 5 and 6. And uh, in my mind, uh, you might be saying, Brother Mike, this is the dumbest thing to preach on in revival ever. And as much as you may think that way, I might agree with you. However, when the Lord says prophesy, who can but prophesy? I feel like this is a very important subject. I believe it would be very helpful for a church. I believe a church that forgets these things is on its way to closing its doors eventually or compromising in a real bad way. And uh, I don't want to close the doors to any good church or compromise in any way. Amen. So now... Before I get started, I've said some things already this week about how that, uh, and matter of fact, I've said this many times. I've said it right here in this church. Uh, I said one time, and I've said it a couple of times, if a fellow come in, sat on the back row drunk, I don't think I'd run him off just because he, had, he was drunk, but I'd let him come in, and, uh, and I'd want to preach to him and preach the gospel to him, uh, I would I would also hope that he was sober enough to understand what was being said. Uh, probably the least effective witness I've ever done was to somebody that was drunk. And, and uh, uh, nine times out of ten, you're going to be better served just to come back and talk to them while they are sober. Uh, but that being said, uh, most people remember what was said to them while they was drinking and stuff like that. And, and what I said I meant, if a fellow come in and Christians got offended because they could smell a little alcohol on them, I think I'd still preach to them anyway. And if they come five or six weeks and maybe they're not drunk but you can smell alcohol on them and everybody in town knows he's the worst drunkard that there was, I believe I'd go ahead and keep witnessing to him or preaching to him. Amen. I've seen, <clears throat> I've seen God do something with the worst, hadn't you? I will never, ever, ever as long as I live forget witnessing to Bobby McInvale. Never will forget that. Go to his house and he had put his face down. And I'm, now I'm not saying he was a drunkard. I'm just saying I was witnessing to him and he was not a very Christian-like 
fella. He was not a Christian in any way, shape, or form. But he did let me witness to him at his table, and I remember uh, many of the time he'd put his face down. One time I witnessed to him, and he started looking me in the face. We started out looking face to face, and by the time I got done witnessing to him, his nose was about two inches from the table. And he said, Preacher, I'm going to come out there to the church one of these days. He said, But I ain't going to be no hypocrite, even though we was all hypocrites out here anyway. He'd have fit right in, wouldn't he, if he would have came. But he said, I'm going to come, he said, preacher, I promise you, I'm going to come down to that church one of these days. I'm going to get saved. He said, I'm going to be the best member of that church as God. I said, okay, I've heard that hundreds of times. Amen? Amen. If you've ever witnessed to somebody, you've heard that. But Easter Sunday morning, he comes, sat right back there, right in front of where Brother Mike's sitting right now, and, and uh, his great big gigantic son-in-law sitting there with him. And during the invitation... Uh, about knocked me over when I went, when I looked up and saw both of them heading down the aisle. They come down here and got saved and uh, looked around. They was jaws on the floor all over the place. Amen. Because the gospel works on people that are hard or whatever the case might be. They might be hard. They might be drunkards. I said something the other night about, you know, when uh, if somebody, if a female come in, she's not dressed right. And I didn't just say that off the top of my head. I say that because... Uh, up at Faith Baptist Church, we had a girl that was coming in. She wasn't dressed right, and boy, it raised a row. When y'all going to run her off? When you? And a lot of people didn't think the pastor was doing the right thing because we didn't run her off. Well, when they asked me, I didn't have no intention of running her off. I had intention of the Holy Ghost running her in, amen, and get, getting her saved. Then the Lord would help her out on them things. The Lord would change them things around. Now, so people raised a little bit of eyebrow, uh, eyebrow at me about that because, you know, uh, people say I'm a mean preacher, even though I'm not. I'm the nicest preacher you've ever seen. But people say that, and, and they think, uh, you know, I've preached about dressing right and acting right and stuff like that. But folks, you've got to realize most of the time you're hearing that stuff preached in church, I'm preaching to you. I ain't preaching to lost people. I mean, you're supposed to know better than that. You've got conviction of your sins. Uh, then you're supposed to realize, I mean, God convicts you of your sins for a reason. Now, I, I say that realizing that you're going to come in, you're going to get saved, and then you're going to learn a little bit now, and you're going to learn a little bit tomorrow, and you're going to learn a little bit next month, and you'll grow, and 10 years from now you'll figure out something about your life or your lifestyle that you need to straighten out and get straightened out. Uh, but what I've said so far this week is about, you know, uh, not... Losing your mind if somebody comes in, they don't, uh, they don't, maybe they're not modest or maybe they, you smell like alcohol or drugs or something like that. That's exactly the kind of people that, you, they need the gospel. They, they, need, they need to be able to come back to a place where God's people has an understanding. You of all people should realize that what God could do in a life like that. Amen? And so... But when, when I begin to preach that way, people begin to think, well, maybe he's compromising now. But no, that's not a compromise. Uh, the Bible said that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And uh, if they can't come into church, then my soul, uh, then that, uh, what you going to And I said the other night that the mission field's out there. Evangelism happens out there, but most of y'all ain't doing that. So let them come in and hear the gospel, amen. If you would, since you ain't going to witness to them out there, let them come in, hear it in here, amen, if you will. Uh, and if you won't, amen, you could always find another church to go to. Amen. They allow people to come in out there. You don't mind if I run a couple of people off tonight, do you? Amen. Go find another church somewhere if you're too good to go to church. Where they allow people to come in. Amen. Amen. So, but what I'm going to talk to you tonight, I'm going to talk to you about being judgmental because as far as, as, far as the, uh, most of the churches are current, concerned now is that grace is the only thing happening. And we ought not to say nothing bad about anything that anybody's doing. And I'll tell you, I don't believe that way either. As much as I believe you ought to be considerate of the fact that lost people coming in and rebellious people coming in and drunkards that are coming in and immodest people that are coming in, as much as I believe that, they, uh, need to, that you need to have some consideration for them and some patience and long-suffering with them, I, just as much as I believe that, I believe 
a bunch of Christians needs a knock knocked on their head. Amen? And I hear it in camp meetings all over the place. We ain't trying to grind no axes. I'm trying to get my axe sharper, ain't you? Huh? Oh, God didn't call us to shoot the brethren. Most of the brethren needs to be shot. Amen. I'm sick of hearing it. Amen? Amen. But you hear it everywhere you go. Hear it everywhere you go. And preachers, pastors go to those meetings where that stuff is being said and get shamed into uh, uh, maybe being quiet and laying down on some things. And now churches, you know, just about, you can't hardly get under conviction in a church no more. Amen. So, I don't know, uh, I don't know of anybody else. I mean, I guess I'm the one that's dumb enough to do it. I guess I don't know of anybody else that ever touches this kind of topic in a revival. If, I mean, preacher lackey. You know, I thought about that today. Uh, you changed sides, man. You need to get back over here. I need to... Preacher Lackey, I was thinking today, what in the world kind of revival message is this? But then I remember Preacher Lackey would go preach a week of meetings in the first three days. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, he'd preach on tithing. He said, bless God, I get them straightened out on tithing. I can get the rest of them. Everything they got is hiding behind their pocketbook. It is. Amen. Most of that stuff they do, the only reason they do it is to show off that they got the money to do it. Well, that's not a message I'm trying to preach tonight. But it's God's honest truth. What what does that have to do with? It has to do with pride. And that's every other thing. Why would somebody come to church in yogurt pants? People laugh. Laugh. People laugh when I say yogurt pants. But that's what it looks like. It looks like somebody filled a five-pound sack with ten pounds of yogurt. Amen. Amen, preacher. Amen. I don't even believe in yoga class, let alone yoga pants. Do you? Amen. I, I was raised when that stuff was first coming into this, into American society. They said that's that's Eastern my, uh, mysticism, and they was right about that. All them stretches and stuff that wasn't to relieve back pressure. That was to get in the position where you could receive a bad spirit. That's what them. That's what them. Uh, Asian monks do. They're not stretching for their kung fu expertise. They're trying to get in touch with a with a spirit, and it ain't a good spirit either. Not the Holy Spirit. Oh, but you're gonna do it. That's all right. Just keep doing it, and then come counsel with me next year about why you can't think straight. I'll help you. You say why? Cause grace. I believe in grace as much as anybody does, but it still don't mean it ain't true. It sure is. So I thought if Preacher Lackey could preach three days straight in a five-day revival about tithing, I could go ahead and hit on this subject a little bit. So I'll do it now. Let me pray, all right? Lord, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for your grace. Help me to preach tonight. Help me to say what I have to say. Help me to say it well. Help me to say it and make it in an understandable fashion. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd do the work that you do, that strange work that you do through your preaching, through the preaching of your word, through the Holy Spirit. And I pray you'd help us, God. Lord, I... Uh, I don't mean to, to come down on, on anything tonight except for to bring out a fact that, a, that every church needs to be mindful of as they go forward, both as individuals and a collection of believers, God. We, we all need to be mindful of these things if we're going uh, uh, to be following your will and if we're going to be effective in the ministry that you gave to us. Lord, I can't think of anything that will kill the effectiveness of a ministry uh, any more than to lose lose our ability, God, to judge things correctly and to have enough discernment, God, to see things that are right and wrong. And as my brother said yesterday, wrong uh, things that are right and almost right. Lord, I pray you'd help us in these things and we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. All right, now in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, let's, uh, let's read in verse... Six. We'll start reading in verse 6. And it says, your glorying is not good. Now, what he's been talking to them about is they had a man that was committing a very egregious sin in the church. And everybody knew it. And he says, your glorying is not good. I wonder what that, I wonder what that means. Your glorying is not good. You know what I think it means? I think it means that they were saying something like, ain't the grace of God good? Because what they were doing, they had a man living in open sin, a terrible sin, 
But at the same time, they were glorying. They must have been, if you could get to the place where you can see somebody doing what this man was doing and still have a shouting fit and a conniption fit and glory and all this stuff, then you're overlooking something that's major. And if you're going to overlook, listen, I'm telling you this. I mean, I've been around, uh, I mean, I'm not an old man, but I've been around church a long time. And I can tell you this, if a church gets to the place where they can see something that absolutely ought not, ought not to be done, yet they're still carrying on like nothing's happening. Every time I've ever seen that happening, somebody says, well, the grace of God. And if a preacher runs off with another woman, they'll say, well, you know, David done it. What difference does that make? Was it right when David done it? No. Nobody in this world ever said that it was right when David done it. Amen. So if they're glorying, they're probably saying, well, God, we're all sinners. And that's true. We are all sinners. And that ought to at least help us to come to the right conclusion. Man, if I'm a sinner and I let that go, next time it'll be me. Look over in chapter number 6, and I want to point this out before we go any further. Verse 13. Look at the seriousness of this thing. I mean, we've come to the place where nothing's serious anymore. But I want you to notice what it says in chapter 6, verse 13. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. You know what that means? <laughs> no. <laughs> Meat for the belly and belly for That's an argument that's taking place right there. One says, uh, you know, God made this meat, and it's for my belly. And another man say, no, no, now the belly... It's designed in such a way, and it can break down things to where you can eat meat. And another one, no, no, no. Meat goes into the belly. You know, it strengthens your body, and it produces the, the, the fiber and the protein that your body needs to build things up. And one thinks one was uh, created for the one, and one thinks the other was created for the other. Meat for the bellies and belly for the meats. Well, look what it says. Meat for the belly and belly for meats, but... God shall destroy both it and them. Now here's two things that, you know what the conclusion of the argument is, belly, meats for the belly and belly for the meats? You know what the argument is? Both of, them, both of those things is true. There's no use in coming down on either side of that argument. Both of those things are true. Meats was made for your belly. And the Bible said if you give thanks for it, then you can eat it. Amen. Meat for the bellies. That's true. The belly for the meats. God did make the belly where it can. Both of those things is true. And on both sides of that true argument, God's going to destroy both of them. So God's going to destroy two things that he made for a specific pur purpose. Now, with that in mind, meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication. Now, if he's going to destroy something that was made for something else, what's he going to do with something that was not made for something else? He said, if the belly's made for meats and I'm going to destroy that, and the body's not made for fornication, what do you think I'm going to do if you start messing around like that? And he got that right out of chapter number 5 because that, that was the big sin. Amen. So he says, your glorying is not good, verse 6, chapter 5. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Oh, boy. I, I wouldn't, oh, man, I just, the sermon gets longer and longer. I planned on being done. Listen, he said, Brother Mike, but man, I wish Brother Mike would preach a lot shorter. Man, you should have been here last night. Hey, <laughs> man, I pulled a short one on you, didn't I? We was out of here by 8 o'clock, but anyway. You know what I found out being a pastor? I preach a long time, people complain. I preach a short time, people hang around for 45 minutes. They ain't in no hurry. They just don't want to hear preaching. That's all it is. Amen. Uh, so he says, uh, he says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old. I'm going to skip what I was going to say because I want to preach on this. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so when you're judging something in somebody else's life, you should first think, is this going to help or is this going to hurt? Is this going to hurt me? Is this going to hurt our church? If we allow this thing, is this going to hurt us or is this going to help us? 
And if it ain't going to help you, the Bible says it's leaven. The Bible says leaven is like sin. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now we'll keep this part of the church just like it's always been. But up here, let's get rid of the pulpit, paint it black and get us some strobe lights. And we'll just start that way. But we'll still sing the hymns. We'll make it look like a rock and roll venue. But we'll just, we'll just change the atmosphere just a little bit. Well, the Bible says 11... A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Pretty soon you'd, anything would go. And so that's just an example. But uh, let's, go, let's go here. He says, uh, therefore, he said, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. The, the, you say we're saved by grace, and we are. But the price by which that grace came is a great price. And again, you get to the place where you say, Jesus died for you. And Jesus died for you. And so you bring that thing down a level. That brings the sacrifice of Christ down just a little level, just a little level to where things become about you and it becomes about you and it, and it no longer, or it ceases to be about Christ and that brings it down a little bit further and it, just you, it's about you and we hope you have, a, no, no, it's about Christ. It's, uh, well, it is, Christ did save me. Yeah, he saved you by his grace and he sh- saved you by his blood. It was a great Sacrifice, a great sacrifice. I believe we've uh, diluted it a little bit when we make it just about us. When everything's just about us, it dilutes it. It surely does. Well, if it's about us, then I matter a whole lot, don't I? And my opinion matters a whole lot, don't it? And my feelings matter a whole lot, don't it? When your feelings, quite frankly, don't come into it, listen, decide right now you're going to adjust your feelings to the way God feels about things. You have to do it because, listen, you're going to be judged on that basis. God is not going to judge you on the way you feel about anything. God's going to judge you on the way He felt about everything you did. And I say, listen, I say that with full recognition. We're never going to measure up to His stature even after we're saved. But where, where is our aim at? Is our aim up there or is it right here? I, I believe we got a low estimation of God. I, I believe we, I, I'm with you. We're saved by grace. We're nothing. I understand that. But we are His sons. So you can even dilute the thing by just saying, we're nothing. We're nothing. We're nothing. We're nothing. Well, we are saved. And we're saved with a great sacrifice. And, and we're called with a great calling. A high calling. Not a low calling. A high calling. Low men are called to a high calling. So you can say, well, not many noble and not many wise and all that. But listen, isn't the calling the challenge to try to elevate the thing a little bit? You were, you were low unwise. Maybe you can shoot for being high unwise. Amen? Amen. Maybe, you're, maybe you got saved as a terrible sinner. Maybe you want to finish up as a not so terrible sinner. Well, we're all going to be sinners, ain't we? But let's don't use that to excuse something that might turn out to hurt us even worse down the road. Huh? Listen, you think uh, my little cousin died a couple months back in March. He died from fentanyl, heroin. He stayed clean a whole year. He was doing the best he ever done. He'd been fighting heroin uh, since he's 22 years old. Been fighting it and getting clean and going to rehab. But you know, that boy didn't start out on fentanyl and heroin. No, he started out with what his dad was doing, a little bit of weed, just a little bit of weed once in a while. That boy didn't take his first drag off of a, off of a marijuana cigarette thinking, one of these days I'm going to die on heroin. You, you say, what was that, Brother Mike? That was a bad judgment call. Now listen, if his dad would have piped up and said, you can't do that, boy, he would have said, yeah, but you smoking weed. You know what he's saying? He's saying what Christians all over this planet are saying tonight. Well, you're a sinner too. And that lets them off the hook. That lets them off the hook. And if there's no preacher in a pulpit somewhere saying, don't do it, don't do it. That's wrong. Then they're going to keep on doing it. And they're going to be emboldened to do it. And they're going to take heart while they're doing it. 
and there'll be no restraining. But listen, I know as well as you do that every preacher on the face of this planet is just as faulty as anybody that's not a preacher. I know that. But God called us to hold the line. And, and I'm a firm believer is if the world is in this great extreme over here, then I believe that a preacher ought not just walk the line. I think you ought to be a little bit extreme over here and try to pull them back this way. Because right. I'm not too sure you can pull a Christian much further than the center dividing line. I, just don't, I, don't know, I don't know that it is. I mean, you can't do it from the center dividing line. I know that. All these preachers are mean. No, they're not mean. They're trying to keep you off a of shipwreck. That's what they're doing. Ain't nobody saying that we're good and you're bad and we're holier than thou. Ain't nobody I know that's talking that way. And if they are, they're a jerk. I'll agree with you. That's, that's, that's stupidity. But, but what I'm saying is true. If you're going to get somebody to try to walk at least middle ways down the road, you're going to have to be on the extreme way over there. If they disagree with you and call you a nut, at least they'll come back to the center and say, oh, well, you know, I better check up a little bit. But if there's nobody... Especially you get over here to the left side of the marker, they'll be way off down the road. Amen. Absence is absent. People take people take the absence of a voice as consent. Amen. Amen. Am I right about that? Amen. Amen. So he says, verse seven: Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. So we're not talking about being in malice. Oh, you terrible sinners, I hate you. No, ain't nobody talking about doing that. Not malice. And he says, so, he says, uh, the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I, I just, you know, people say hate and mean, uh, mean preachers and hateful preachers. Uh, but I think it's the ultimate, I think it's the ultimate display of sincerity if a man will get up and put his reputation on the line to tell people that they're wrong. Nobody does that for popularity's sake. I mean, I can't think of one or two guys that might actually do that to try to be like somebody else. But you can look square at those guys and tell them. You know, I've seen many guys imitate Carl Lackey or imitate some of them old-time preachers. But you can look right at them and tell they're imposters. At least, I mean, I hope you can. So we're not doing this out of malice. We're supposed to be doing sincerity and truth. You know why a preacher says this is wrong and that's wrong if he's got enough guts to say that to begin with? Because it is wrong. It is going to hurt you. It is going to hurt you. And I tell you, if I didn't have the Word of God and if I didn't have the Holy Spirit to do the same for me, I'd take it the, way, the same way you did and I'd be off in left field somewhere too. And I do find myself off in left field from time to time. But I can still hear the voice of my old preacher the way he used to preach. And I'd be out there all by myself and say, oh, man, I, I'm going to have to get back over here. I'm going to have to get right. I'm going to have to get this thing straight. I'm going to have to do it. Be because, listen, it comes down to this. I heard it so much that my own conscience won't allow me to stay that way so long. My, my mind will get me in all kinds of trouble, but my conscience Keeps, I mean, it's, you know what the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That, it's the same mentality. You teach the kid what is right. You teach the kid what is right. You teach the kid what is right. And even if he gets off in a place he ought not to be, his conscience has already said he's been trained that way. And consequently, consequently, if you teach them to do bad things, and you set their conscience that way, they'll grow up. They won't have convictions about nothing. Even if they do get saved by the grace of God. Well, you know, I just don't, I just don't see that. Well, I mean, it's no wonder. I believe them when they say they don't see it. But you don't see it because nobody stamped it on you. You know what a character is? How many of you ever heard you ought to have good character? You know what character is? Character is that look, a typewriter. I don't know if people know what typewriters are. Typewriter, did you know a typewriter will make a letter on a paper with no ink on it? It's got this little arm on it, 
and it'll swing up there and hit the paper, and it'll make a K on there with no, no ink. You'll have to look real close to see it, though, because what it did is it made a character in that paper. You get, get your little pencil and color it in, it'll be there. And it'll be there as long as that paper exists. The only thing is they put ink in that in, on the ribbon of that typewriter so that when the, the character strikes, it fills it with ink. And you can see what's there. That's character. And if a person doesn't have any character in this life, it's because nobody ever struck him with it and imprinted it into his soul. That's the kind of fellow that murders people and beats up his wife and doesn't take care of his kids. That's in his character because somebody struck him and made him think that's the way. Maybe Hollywood done it. Maybe a, an older generation of stupidity taught him how to do that. But somebody struck that into his character. Yes, sir. And if a man holds the door for his wife and says, love you, darling, and treats her well and buys her a gift every Valentine's Day, even though it is a corporate holiday, <laughs> he said, somebody taught him to treat her that way. A man left to himself, he'll treat somebody like a doll. Amen. I'm just of the opinion he ought to be smacked in the mouth. Did I say that out loud? Hey, man, I mean, I, I say stuff like that, and I'm, man, I shouldn't say stuff like that because I guess it makes me look bad. But man, I just kind of, I feel this in my soul. I'm 53, I might not do it now. But man, if I saw a guy like beating up his wife, I would punch him right in his teeth. Amen. Amen. Maybe I'm still talking like a 25-year-old, but man, listen, I, I grew up seeing my mother putting up with my dad throwing bricks through the windows of her cars and beating on the door in the middle of the night and giving her trouble because he strung out on drugs and she left him years ago, but he just kept coming back and bullying and bullying and bullying and bullying and bullying. That stuff was stamped in his soul like a typewriter out of hell put it right on it. Bam, he acted like that and he acted like that and he acted like that and he couldn't do nothing about it. He was just stupid. And one day my mama's brother walked out there and knocked the devil out of him. He never done it again. So I've always thought, man, why call the sheriff on somebody that they're going to let him go tomorrow and he's going to come back and do the same thing? Just knock his teeth out. Hey, man, if your sister's getting treated that way, you're going to knock his teeth out. I say that with no, I mean, I hate to sound like a, uh, I'm not a radical mean guy and I hate to sound like that, but man, be a man. Hey, man, you're not treating my sister that way or my wife or her sisters or anybody else that I know. Amen. Amen. You, you're welcome. You say you wouldn't do it, and that's why I don't hang around you. You're an idiot. Amen. I don't believe you're a man if you can let that stuff go on. Well, I've ruined the sermon. <laughs> no, I didn't. That's good. I like that kind of preaching. I don't like it. Don't come back tomorrow. That's all I can say. Amen. You, you, you know what I'm talking about right here? You say, oh, this don't have nothing to do. It has everything to do with everything. Listen to me. This is a judgment call. Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff is wrong. I decided that a long time ago. It was stamped in my soul. Yeah, yeah. I, when I was growing up, I had a preacher that was standing up there on the pulpit, and he was saying, that is wrong. That is wrong. He wasn't hollering at Listen, he would come down to the drunkard's house and knock on the door, and they would open the door, and he would say, somebody told me, he'd done this to my own grand, great-grandpa. I heard y'all down here drinking, didn't know how to act. Y'all need to get in church on Sunday morning. You're going to die and bust hell wide open. Yeah, yeah. Amen. And that's exactly what happened. They come down, they got saved, and they got right with God, and the ones that didn't, they died and busted hell wide open. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. That was stamped in his soul, and he was going to stamp it on everybody else's soul too. And he said, drinking is bad and doing drugs is bad and fornicating is bad. He made a judgment call and preached it to that congregation. And when I got in the Marine Corps and started acting like a fool, I could hear it ringing in my ear because it was stamped in my soul. It was something that was wrong. It's something that's wrong. It's wrong if you do it. It's wrong if I do it. I'm not being a hypocrite. I'm just saying it affects sinners that way. It's wrong for you. It's wrong for me. If you do it, you need to get right. If I do it, I need to get right. This has nothing to do with religion whatsoever. It has nothing to do with anything about being in a Baptist church. It says a right thing and a wrong thing. If the church lays down on it, nobody's going to know about it. You think Planned Parenthood is going to come down here and try to keep you from cheating on your wife? Not, not, no. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
You, you think Planned Parenthood is going to come down here and try to keep you from aborting a baby someday? Absolutely not. There had better, when you come to that place in your life, which you better not ever come to that place in your life, somebody will knock you. Hey, see that boy right over there? Hey, if he starts dating girls before he's 25, knock him out. <laughs> Maybe just a little earlier than that. But, but listen, hey, in times like that, you're going to need to hear a preacher's voice going, Don't do it! Yeah. Don't do it! Amen. 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 So that's what we're talking about making judgments here tonight. Some things is wrong. And it's not just that they're wrong. Really, it's none of my business if you do right or wrong. The thing about it is, it's going to hurt you. Well, listen, I'm going to drive back to Delaware. I don't know if I'll ever come back here. I might. It's a good possibility I will. But the way you live your life for the next three weeks is probably never going to affect me. Yeah. I mean, Brother Nathan might call up and say, Brother so-and-so or Sister so-and-so did this. I'll be sad about that, and I'll be praying about that. But I can't stand at the judgment about that except if I didn't tell you. But listen, the point of the message is that churches have stopped telling people. And the churches that are still telling people are the mean guys. We don't need no gunslingers. We don't need no ants grinders. Oh, but we do. Because the wages of sin is still death. It's still death. And listen, I've got some family members that chose not to say nothing to my little cousin. My little nephew. Some said, hey, you better get right. You better do right. Some said, he went and chose his own way. Got him a job, got, went through rehab, got him a job. And listen, what some, whether somebody was judgmental of him for being a dope addict or not, that didn't change the fact. Listen, the people that went down there and hugged his neck, we're pulling for you, honey. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that kind? Some people did that for him. And some people said, man, you better get your life straight, buddy. That's so judgmental. Whether it was judgmental or whether it was nice, after being clean a year, he slipped into the bathroom one day and popped that needle out. And they found him just a little bit later. Now what difference does it make if somebody was nice to him or judgmental about it? Huh? The result's the same, ain't it? You know what he needed all them years? He needed for my brother to have not left church when he was 15 years old. Listen, that brother of mine, he sat right on the same pew that I did. He heard the same message as I did. At some point he decided, this is just so mean. This is so judgmental. And he got up and walked out. Just as soon as he did, he cut that boy's throat. And probably I've done it to him a hundred times by shooting off at the mouth about something I probably shouldn't have done it and probably you've done it too. Maybe you didn't do it to that same degree but you opened the door for it. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Terry Speaks, you go home and look him up. It's Google. Look it up. Probably better than the stuff you're looking up right now. Terry Speaks, T-E-R-R-Y-S-P-E-A-K-S. We sit right in the same spot, listen to the same preaching, listen to the same preacher, listen to the same music. Went in the same Marine Corps, one year apart. Was both in the Marine Corps, he decided he was going to steal motorcycles. I, I, truth be told, I probably thought about stealing some things too. But there was that judgmental voice in my ear. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Oh, that's just Ten Commandments. That's Sunday school stuff. That's, you know, that's just something you can use to be judgmental about somebody. Well, Terry Speaks got kicked out of the Marine Corps for stealing those uh, motorcycles. And he got kicked out of the Marine Corps, and he went back to Mount Airy where we was raised at, and found him, now he's old enough to be in the Marine Corps, found him a little girl to date that wouldn't have an age to date nobody. They took him to court for that and found him guilty of that. He's supposed to register. He's not going to register. He's not going to do anything anybody tells him to do. 
moves off to California so nobody knows who he is or where he is. Decides he's been out there long enough, I'm going to move to Louisiana. So he moves to Louisiana, Baton Rouge, or whatever that sin town is down there where anybody can do anything. That, and you can't be judgmental to nobody down there. Nobody's going to judge you. Hey, in that town, I can't remember the name of that town, but New Orleans. Nobody will judge you for anything that you do. Chris speaks and his girlfriend, it's Chris's birthday, and his girlfriend says, let's, let's go downtown and find, find some girl, and, and uh, we'll have you a birthday party. So that's what they did. Jaron Lockhart. That's the girl's name. And they went down there, and they got her to come along and have him a birthday party. The next day she's missing, and they're looking for her all over the place. And they found her. She washed up on the beach in Alabama, cut all to pieces. That boy sat in the same church. He heard the same stuff I did. He sang the same hymns I did. What am I saying? I'm saying you can be told. You can be warned. And you can make the decision to go as far as anybody can go. And it don't matter if you got good cousins or it don't matter if you got people telling you it's all right, honey. You just do what you think is best or it don't matter if somebody's saying you ought not do it, you ought not do it. But I can tell you how much easier would it be if nobody ever said don't do it. Lord have mercy. If you can do that thing with restraints on your hands and feet after having hearing the gospel all your life, what in the world could you do unrestrained by that? And listen, man after man after man after woman after woman after woman have proved time and time again that there just is no limit to which people will go in this world. How in the world can we sit in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and not warn people that the wages of sin is still death? It's always going to be death. It'll be death for the oldest man in this church. It'll be death for the youngest kid in this church. It's going to be that way. It's going to be. I've had people say, don't talk about sin in front of my kids. But man, it's trying to kill them just as hard as it's trying to kill me. And man, I know if I've had a hard enough time with it. I know if I had a hard enough time with peer pressure when I was in school. I know if I've had a hard enough time with peer pressure being a 50-year-old man. Lord have mercy, what must it be like for these kids when they get in a place? Listen, I tell you what, I just don't know that I would ever, 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 ever put my kid in a public school. I just don't see how I can do it. You say, what are you being tonight? Being judgmental. And rightfully so. Let me say this without any shadow of a doubt. I'm absolutely right about this stuff. No question. No question. The church is the absolute only place left that you can get this stuff. You know where you used to could get it, Brother Curtis? You used to could get some of it from mama. I'm talking about lost mamas. Wouldn't let their kids get away with stuff. If a lost mama brought her kids to church, Lord have mercy. She'd have an expectation of what she was going to hear there, wouldn't you? And you've got... You, you, you've got You've got more of a chance of seeing a snowball exist 25 minutes at the equator of this planet than you do going into a Bible-believing Baptist church and hearing a message against anything this day and time. Except for this. They'll preach against tithing. They'll, they'll preach against preachers preaching. They'll preach against preachers saying anything that might be harmful or hurtful to somebody's feelings. They'll preach against that. Amen. But the Bible says, he says, verse number, now look at this. I'm going to justify something. We're going to go to the house. Verse 9, I wrote unto you an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. I spent the first 10 minutes of this message saying that exact thing. He said not to keep company with fornicators, but he wasn't talking about people out there. Those are the ones you're supposed to go witness to. That's the ones he died for. He said, but it's right in here the ones you need to be careful about. This is where you need to be making a stand. 
This is where st- stands are made. This is where uh, stands are fabricated at. This is, the, this is the place where you're supposed to be anchored to. This is the place where you're supposed to be able to run back to when you do get yourself in trouble. I said it last night. He said, uh, my little children, he said, uh, these things write unto you that you sin not. But it didn't stop there. He said, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. uh, Whether it's this place or this altar or in your heart, wherever you might be, you're going to need a place to run back to. But I feel like we're in a time when most people don't know they've messed up when they've messed up. Preacher said not to worry about this. Preacher said that preacher that was mean and telling everybody they were sinners, preacher said he was wrong. Amen. Now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. They say you're not supposed to shoot your brethren. You're not supposed to shoot the believers. But that's the fellow you're supposed to be shooting at if there's cause for it. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, you need encouragement. You need help. The road is rough. It's a difficult place we live in. And the, and the thing that makes it more difficult is there's, there's penalties to pay when this world is over. You need help. You need encouragement. But you also need to be in a place where they put a difference between right and wrong. It's the safest place to be. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And it, listen, listen to me real carefully. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want a safe place to sit down and go, my, my conscience is clear about that. I mean, when you get out and you mess things up and you do something that you ought not do, haven't you been to the place where you lay your head on your pillow and you, your mind won't go to sleep because it keeps spinning and saying, should I have done that? Shouldn't I have done that? Was I justified in doing that? Should I have said that? Why can't I get no peace? Why does this keep bothering me? Why am I so upset? Why is this thing spinning out of control? Don't you need a place where you could go back and just say, God, forgive me of that. And help me about that. But most Christians don't even know that that's something that they have to do or should do. No wonder the world is spinning out of control and people have to have a pill to go to sleep and have to have a pill to get up and have to have a pill to uh, operate at work and have to have a pill to operate at school. Man, because they have no hope. They have no rest in place. And I fear that preachers are robbing the rest in place for a, for a Christian that's got just a little bit out of the way. He don't know he's out of the way. So, man, this, I trusted Jesus, but they said I was supposed to have peace. But where is it? It's where it, it's, it's where it always has been. Just ain't no preachers saying nothing about it. Amen. And, and, and after all, I do feel this is a wonderful revival message because uh, how in the world is a church ever going to get revival if it doesn't know that, hey, sure, there is things that are wrong, but there's a place to get right. There is an advocate with the Father. And a preacher can jump up and down in front of me and tell me I was wrong all day. And I can say, well, Lord, you could either be honest and say, well, Lord, I don't want to get that right. Help me. Or you could say, oh, I know it's wrong. Forgive me and let me get it right. And you can go down to your house and get in your bed tonight and put your head on your pillow and say, and I'll tell you, man, I got in a lot of trouble hanging out with that kid I just told you about. We was doing things we ought not do. We knew better. And thank God, thank God, by the grace of God, a hundred thousand times by the grace of God, I didn't go with that boy and follow that boy very far. Matter of fact, he may have been following me a little bit. But I thank God so much that time after time after time after time when I got out and done the things I shouldn't do, there was always the voice of that old man in my ear. Thank God for that faithful old man. I went and seen him in, uh, in 1992, just a little while before he died. My mom, I was home on leave and my mama said, you better go see the preacher. He ain't going to be around very much longer. And I said, oh man, I, I don't want to go see him. He's going to get on to me. I know he is. But listen, he had already spent he had already spent 22 years fussing at me at that point, preaching to me at that point. And I went to see him. And I sat down. He was in his shorts and a T-shirt. I'd never seen him like that. I'm talking about, you know, boxers. 
sitting at his table. His wife had been dead several years already. It's just him there in the house. I knocked on his door and he said, come on in. And I walked in. And he said, have a seat. He was sitting there eating a tomato sandwich. And I said, boy, tomato sandwiches was popular where I come from. Yeah. Amen. He pulled a little chair out there and said, sit down, boy. And I come in, I sit down beside him, and he said, eat sandwich. I felt kind of awkward. I thought I'd come by and see you eating this sandwich. He didn't even hardly look at me. He ate a while and finally put his sandwich down, reached that big old paw over there. Put it on the shoulder of the most backsliding old boy you ever seen. And he said, Lord, I know this old boy ain't doing right, and I know he knows better. I pray you help him. And from that day to the day I got right, I hear his sermons playing back in my mind. And come to a, Listen, I had somewhere to come back to because I knew not just what my preacher preached, but what our church stood for. And I'm telling you as a church tonight, stand right there. And people in town are going to say you mean. Even the Christians are going to say you mean. But it's the very nicest thing that a church can do is just get where the old timers stood and stand there for the rest of your life. And listen, for all the guys that talk about how mean we are, you ain't never seen a tear roll down one of them fellas' faces. Not one. Because tears don't come from that kind of place. Amen. Amen. Don't move. Don't move. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. God, we're not perfect. We're no, nowhere near perfect. Lord, I'm not perfect. I'm nowhere near perfect. But what a great Savior we have and what a great sacrifice was made for us. Help us, O oh God, to stand for what's right. The things in which a person might call us a, for, for which a person might call us a hypocrite, help us to get those things right. Lord, there's no excuse for it. Even though we are that, there's no excuse for it. Help us to do better. I need to do better. These folks need to do better, no doubt. Lord, I pray that you'd help. Lord, there are some that's just starting out on this road. I pray you'd help them to travel a good road. And I'll thank you and praise you for what you do in their lives. Help them, oh God. Strengthen them, oh God. And we'll thank you for everything that you do. Lord, I pray you'd help us tonight. In Jesus' name. Some folks are around the altar. The altar's open. You can come. Bring your kids. Bring yourself. Get around, get around an altar. And you do have a good church that tells it like it is. And if nothing else, just say, Lord, thank you for giving us a good church. Thank you for giving us a good place. Thank you for giving us a good preacher. You got a good preacher here. You got a good preacher here. He may not be the most popular preacher in the world, but listen, a good preacher ain't never going to be the most popular. Just ain't going to happen that way this day and time. This is not the 50s. This is not the 60s. We live in a dark age. The Bible said perilous times would come, and we're there living in perilous times. Thank God for your church. Thank God for your preacher. Thank God for his grace and how many times he's picked you up after you've fallen down. And let me tell you, he's faithful. He'll be there. He'll be there every time you do fall down because he is a merciful God. He is a graceful God. And that's the message. You do with it what, what you will. Do with it what you should. 